the network for the AV industry. What are you listening to? This. This is AV. This. This. This is AV Nation. This is AV Nation. This is AV Week. Episode 73, recorded Friday, January 11th, 2013. Angry Birds. Ready. AV, AV Week. Performing scan. Week. Online. This is AV Week. It's time for AV Week, your weekly wrap-up of audiovisual news and information. My name is Tim Albright. I'm your host. Thank you so very much for joining us. Uh, with us this week is Steve Greenblatt. He is the uh, chief of everything at Control Concepts. How are you, sir? Great, Tim. How are you? Doing well. Doing well. Uh, also with us is Mr. Bradford Ben. He is the evil genius, uh, the application expert. Uh, not the, but a application expert at Harmon Professional. How are you, sir? I'm doing great. Thank you. Excellent. Uh, this week, we're going to kind of not completely wrap up CES, but there was a couple things that came down the pike that were AV-centric and, and may very well um, affect us <laughs> in, in the you're, AV industry. You're not going to be talking about 3D TV again, oh, are you? I am, and in a, in a positive way this time. I still might rant on you. That's fine. I, 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 have, I have not completely joined the 3D camp, but I got something here that I, I could... I could definitely get into. Let's just put it that way. Um, and uh, Crestron, uh, well, let's just say they, they changed the names for some people, uh, the titles. Some Yeah, we'll get into that. Um, uh, but first, yeah, we're going to talk about 3D. Uh, if this comes to us from slashgear.com, Stream TV is debuting an ultra-D, glasses-free 3D with 4K resolution. Now, about two, two or three weeks ago, uh, we did a, a show for uh, CE Pro, the fine folks over at CE Pro. Uh, it was a 4K special, and I learned a ton of stuff about 4K. And there's a couple really, uh, really smart guys on there. Bjorn was on there, um, Bjorn Dibdahl, uh, Gary Yakubian, and they were the the consensus was this. Um, somebody made the comment that 3D very well may get a resurgence and a rebirth when it comes to 4K. And somebody put it to me like this. 4K in 3, 3D and 4K is really dual 1080p. And I can get behind that a little bit. Maybe that's half of my problem is the fact that when you're looking at 3D, it's kind of, you kind of bust down the resolution. But the other part of this sucker that's really, really cool is the fact that it's glasses-free. Now, there are some people who still can't see it because of an astigmatism or what have you, but the other issue that I've always had with, with 3D is the fact that you have to have a special pair of glasses. I mean, when I was a kid, uh, that was NBC ran, you know, the creature from the Black Lagoon, and you had to go to the store and get the special red and green glasses and stuff like that. Um, Bradford, I'm going to give you full rantability here, but to me... Now, again, I am not in a grand 3D camp here, but this specific product, and if it works like it says, um, is it not something to get excited about, or is it is is it really? So my thing is, is of course, you're still going to have the issue of you're going to need content to put in there, despite the fact there's a, they're going to be able to 
upconvert from Netflix and game consoles and other streaming media using some of their technology. But I'm in that camp of I don't see 3D, and I think there's probably more people who don't see 3D but are not going to say it because it's kind of like staring at those weird posters at the mall going, do you see a ship? Do you see a ship? And I think they're kind of a little embarrassed to say, I, I don't see it. I also think to some degree the other challenge is going to be that it's not going to – when you put 4K up, and then you put up, like, say, a PlayStation, not that I would ever do that, it's not going to look as good as your PlayStation on the same size image just running HD. Keyword being just running because, you know, I was happy when I had 525 lines of resolution. Well, yeah. But I think that there's still a market for it, but I'm not sure it's going to be as well received as it once was because people aren't going to keep re-releasing movies. Uh, ESPN and CBS aren't going to have as much 3D. I'm not sure if you've ever looked at the 3D channels uh, like on my cable system. After I've seen four of them, I've seen them all. Uh, so I think the technology itself is pretty cool, and I'm very interested at the 1080p, uh, two of them in terms of resolution, so I think you'll get that back. But I, in general, don't believe 3D is that good because even, like I said, uh, a couple months ago on my last 3D rant, you know, I'm sitting in the sweet spot at a Disney attraction with the glasses on and they still can't make 3D work for me. And I think there's a lot of people who are going to have that issue or the people who is going to end up giving them headaches or something like that. I just, I think there are too many challenges for it. If it was truly stereoscopic and you had different images for each eye and like a cool pair of glasses, I think that and when I say cool pair of glasses, I mean a mini display for each eye on a pair of glasses mm. like they used to have way back when. That I could see as being successful. But a big display on the wall that costs a lot of money and might not look that great on non-3D, I'm not sold on. And I'm not sold on 3D in general, as as you can tell. But part of that <laughs> no. is just I don't – I've. You know, I've worked on literally million-dollar 3D projects when I was a contractor, and I never saw 3D. And, you know, I'm sitting there with the guys from major 3D installers who are installing the polarizing lenses and showing me how it works. And I'm like, I'm sorry, guys. I just don't see it. So I'm, I'm a little, I hate to say blind to it, but I think that's probably the right word. I just, I don't see it as that revolution. I agree the technology is pretty cool. And the resolution's pretty cool. And from that standpoint, I think it's pretty cool. But I just, I don't see it as a huge add to the typical family game room or conference boardroom or those types of things. Because, you know, it sounds funny, but if there's 3D video conferencing, that could be interesting. But I doubt anyone's actually going to do 3D video conferencing and be happy with it because the camera adds 10 pounds. Jeez, nice. Very well done. Hey, it's 3D. It's like 30 pounds. It's like 30 pounds because it's, it's three dimensions. There you go. Uh, Steve, <laughs> um, is this something to get excited about? Or like Bradford says, there's still a, a population out there who flat out can't see it. Bradford can it. My, my buddy uh, Michael Drainer still can't see uh, 3D. Is that is that a, a cause for concern? Yeah, it certainly is, of course. And, you know, everything that Bradford said makes uh, a whole bunch of sense and you know, content always being the issue. Um, I, I know one of the times that we spoke in the past, uh, I brought up the idea of 
the medical industry potentially using something like this where they really need to magnify and get the detail if they're looking um, at, at cells or they're looking at something that that ju- just has the the they need to really immerse themselves in and I, I could see that and, and I remember working on a system way back uh, at least five years ago that at a pharmaceutical company, they put in at that point whatever the the 3D technology was, and and it, it was something where they they were able to project a a, um, a cer- certain cells and and um, try to to come up with the the drugs that were going to be curing them. I you know I I don't know what what all the details were, but that that's something that I could think of as being a a practical application. So so maybe not looking at the idea of motion uh, some images from a camera down the road hmm. see now that's an interesting concept and i think in that situation it could work really well i hadn't i hadn't thought about that i think that that could be a lot of fun especially if you're looking at like 3d graphics modeling on you know autocad or revit or take your pick of renderings as well as the cellular stuff i think that's kind of cool i think you you definitely have some additional advantages and uses i hadn't thought of so it would for 3D then? I'd still have to. It, it sounds funny. I'd still have to see if it worked for me. Well, I know. And that, that but, is, right. but if it worked for the guy who's doing my surgery, I'm going to spend all the money I have <laughs> on 3D. True. Yeah. You know, and like I said, it's it it sounds funny, but if it goes back to the Viewmaster style, true stereoscopic, I think that has a better chance of working for most people than some of these glasses free ones. Because that was the whole. You know, joy behind Viewmaster. Oh yeah, it was. The fact that you could actually see 3D. I mean, it was it was two separate images, and you put them together, and it was you know, it was cool, and it was handheld, and you know, that little thing. Yeah. You know. uh, moving on, Gizmodo uh, gives us a cool thing from Samsung coming out of CES. The very first thing we have is a giant OLED that curves. Um, Steve. It's a 55-inch OLED, so let's get excited about that, first and foremost. Uh, but secondly, it has some flexibility, let's say. I mean, you can't you can't fold this thing up and put it in your pocket, uh, but it, it seems to be the first step towards uh, the OLED that, that they've been promising us for a few years, right? Yeah, it sounds very cool. I mean, I, it really sounds like an immersive experience where this could be a great alternative to a 3D effect where you're you're seeing within your your image and and you know maybe maybe you could be closer it, it, uh, to me thought of like maybe the virtual reality type feel. Hmm. I mean, uh, you know, I I thought it was uh, I, th- I thought it was definitely a, a big step in the right direction. Uh, Bradford last year uh, the, was quote unquote the year of OLED uh, for uh, CES 2012. Uh, never really seen that pan out. Is this maybe the same thing as last year, where it's just a it's a pretty screen that may not come to come to market uh, anytime in the next twelve months? Actually, this flexibility has me more intrigued than the fact that it's an OLED. Uh, mm-hmm. Just because of like, for instance, on my desk at home, I have a twenty-seven inch monitor and another twenty-seven inch monitor next to it. And I have them tilted in towards me so I, so I can mm-hmm. see everything, creating my own panorama. Now, if I could get one 55-inch screen and do that and curve it in so I, 
covers my entire field of vision. I don't have this planar view in front of me. That'd be great. You know, I can see lots of uses for this in terms of making a great workstation for when you're working on those really big drawings. You need expansive views to having a better view when you're, you know, in a command and control center because you can, for lack of a better phrase, almost make blinders out of it yeah. as you kind of curve it towards you. So I think this makes sense for the business model more than it does for home. But I would definitely put one of these up on my wall and hook it up to a CPU and, you know, play Doom on it. So almost but, almost like a, a next generation uh, flight simulator um, uh, uh, displays. Yeah, exactly. If you look at a lot of the dark rides and theme parks, they have curved screens so that all the image points at you and you see a much more immersive image. Same idea, except on your desktop, I'd be all over it. Wow. Okay, yeah, absolutely. Would, would it, you think that it would also help to shorten the viewing distance? So if you, you could sit closer to the screen because it bends, whereas oh. when you have to be further away, maybe your field of vision has to be be bigger? Yep, exactly, because you could, in theory, make it into a parabola and have the single focus at your nose or the bridge of your nose, for lack of a better phrase. You could sit closer because it's on the same curve from your nose, and it would be a wraparound, almost like starting to get to those theaters in the round or a planetarium or, you know, those types of things. So I, that's where I think it would really excel. Okay, so let me ask you guys this. Is this then, does this then change uh, some of the equations that guys like me and, and, and designers use every day when you look at a space going, you know, well, you're, 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 you're going to be this far away or the, the uh, optimal viewer will be this far away from the screen. So the, the width of the screen is X and Y and Z. Does that then change when you say, well, do you, do you want a, a flexible screen that wraps around or do you want a flat screen? Does that change that then? Uh, I believe it does, but I also believe that these screens, because they're flexible and wrap around and the laws of geometry, will make your your prime viewing area smaller. So I don't see these as being used at you know in classrooms and boardrooms and things. I see more three or four people looking at one at the same time or using it as a workstation just because of the focus point and having an access around it since it's concave into you. So it's not like a large screening room or a, or a theater. You're looking more like a, a small um, yeah, now, home theater or something. Yeah. Now, if you can get me a 110-inch one of these or build a video all out of a bunch of these, yeah, I could think you could cover oh, more area. Give them time. Give them time. Oh, I'm, I'm ready to order one for my office right now. You know, give me a three by three, 55 inch video wall. That'd be perfect. Make it a touch screen, and I wouldn't know. I'd never leave oh the office. Oh my lord! <laughs> Don't you just do got it. scared a little bit. Yes, didn't you? I did. All right, let, let's let's keep talking about Samsung for a second because something else that came out of of, of CES this week was the fact that they also have. Uh, they're they're coming out with some wireless uh, connectivity. Uh, their their sound bars and and stuff, and it's not just uh, Samsung that's doing this. LG is doing this, and a couple other guys. Um, Bradford, is this kind of the next generation? Is this the next wave of things? Is, is this all wireless stuff? And are we concerned that we're getting rid of wires when it when it comes to the home? Because well, let's be honest, there's an awful lot of traffic going on wireless as it is. Uh, I do think wireless is the next big thing for home. I think getting rid of wires in the home is actually good for the consumer electronics market okay. because uh, now you can put the items where you want them, not where the wires will reach to. 
and not have to worry about you know running under the carpet, putting it through the wall, etc. It's easy and simple to put up. You know, it's literally I want to put my TV here and put my sound system here. Poof, it goes up. The downside to me is, and you know, you're is I and I have to be careful because you know my parent company makes some of these products. <laughs> so, but tread, the downside tread lightly, me, Mr. Bradford is what is the compansion system and the transmission system for these? And are we making listeners dumber, for lack of a better phrase? Uh, you know, because obviously some of these soundbar effects use phase uh, tricks to do the positioning. Also, as you're broadcasting audio and possibly video, you're using up that bandwidth, so you have to down-convert and, and do compression. Also, I worry about, are you going to put latency into your signal? So now lip sync gets way off. But I think, you know, for a not a million-dollar home theater, but a $1,000 home theater, this is a great thing. Because the, the designers, the husband and wife, the family can go, I want to put the TV here and the couch here. And the sound bar goes right underneath it. And I can put these two speakers here that are getting the signal wirelessly. And I know this is going to be painful to some contractors and integrators for me to say and they can do it themselves <laughs> but those are projects that they wouldn't hire an integrator for anyway yeah they'd run their cables themselves yeah so i think it it's a good thing i do think that the running out of bandwidth is getting to be more and more of an issue than than people are aware of but i think if it's done in the you know within the existing home infrastructure for wireless and not as a second one i think it'll work okay you know, AirPlay's been working great. I'll be the first to admit, I use it at home, and I'm amazed by it. And it's it's made my life a lot easier. And so I think that this, as the next step, makes sense. And I think it's something that, for the industry in general, is actually good, because now people want better audio everywhere. But I just hope it's good enough quality audio. And, and I would agree with you when it comes to AirPlay. AirPlay is, is a... It's a it's a magic that I don't understand, but I'm just glad it works. So I can explain it to you if you want. If we got a couple hours, but I know you. <laughs> we don't. We don't. <laughs> Steve, uh, is this a good thing? This the the the, the uh, introduction of wireless speakers everywhere and and integrated into all these different systems, uh, or where, are we going to be concerned about uh, about the wireless spectrum? Um, the well, well, there, there's always the that that chance that we take, and and that active to begin with, and and you know, if you're thinking about the solution in a corporate environment, you know, you, you do run a big risk, and I, I would be concerned about that. In somebody's home, it, it probably is a little bit more applicable. Um, you know, the what what I, I I also agree with the fact that this is just another step that Samsung is taking to counter Apple and they're they're mm. yeah, I think that they're really duking it out here and and that this is just another way that that they're showing that they they can play in, in Apple's league and um, as far as quality wise if you're also uh, if, if you're playing stuff from your iPod <laughs> are you going is the, where where is the the weak link gonna is it be in the quality of the material or is it going to be in the, in the wireless transmission or the or the speaker system that you're listening to so you know I I, I don't necessarily know that 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 the wireless is going to be an issue in in uh, quality wise because we've already uh, we've already bought into the fact that we we don't mind listening to audio from an iPod 
What, what are you saying, <laughs> Mr. Steve? That, that, <laughs> that the audio coming out of my iPod isn't the highest fidelity possible? Well, <laughs> well there is the bit coding scheme you're using, what your bit depth, bit rate bit is, rate and whether and, you know, are you doing the 128? Are you doing the 256? Are you doing AAC, MP3, FLAC, Og Orbis? There's you know, a, all uh, teenagers worry about that. That's all yes, they ever they talk do, about. Yes, they do. Is is the uh, is the bit rate? There's a there's a picture <laughs> running around the uh, the inner tubes. Um, of it's like um, it, it was the modern day uh, engineering problem. Yeah, uh, three thousand um, uh, dollar classic microphone. Microphone. Uh, Ten thousand dollar classic English compressor. All these multi multi hundreds and tens of thousands of dollars of equipment. Ninety nine cent MP three. Ten dollar earbuds. It's like, yeah, that's what it, all that comes down to. You know, something like one hundred and fifty thousand dollars worth of equipment for eleven bucks. There's weird people like me that still buy the CDs, and on my media server at home, they're actually uncompressed WAV files that I stream to AirPlay. So I don't think it's a lost art. I think it's still there, and I think people are actually starting to come back to it as. The older generation, I hate to say it, but... Go ahead. You know, me and the older generation are yelling at these young whippersnapper kids with their MP3s and getting them to understand how music sounds better. Because it sounds funny, but, like, even in my car, I will listen to a CD, but I won't listen to XM radio or Sirius radio for music. And I won't listen to my iPod for music. I'll listen to a CD. Because I can hear that in my car. But on an airplane, I don't care. You know, so I think people are actually starting to care. You look at the Beats by Dre coming along, the Bose noise-canceling headphones. It's it's almost becoming a symbol of I can tell the difference and I know this is better. It's kind of like buying the $20 bottle of wine instead of the $5 or 2 buck chuck. I think there's a certain amount of that going on. But I also got to give Steve credit. I hadn't thought about using this in a business environment, the wireless stuff. And I'm not sure if I would just because I'm so paranoid in the business environment of always being hardwired because you have everyone with iPhones and iPads and Androids and, you know, Newtons and leapfrogs and stuff. Did you say Newton? Yeah, I've seen (laughs) if you were paying attention. (laughs) I'm sorry. Would you like me to throw in BlackBerry Playbook, or is that too far That's out? No, no, no. The Newton is, is, is more historical than the Playbook. You know, <laughs> you might as well said Palm Pilot <laughs> while you're at I it. Because it has an infrared remote on it. Oh, they did, didn't it? It was awesome. I love my Palm Pilot. I'm sorry. All right, let's move on. Uh, Cedia has unveiled. They're, you know what? Cedia's come out with a couple of really cool white papers here in the last couple of months. Um, they have, they've got one about home cabling requirements for the modern home and Steve, we'll kick this off with you. Is this something that we needed and is it, um, is it either past time or is it, you know, right on time when it comes to, you know, getting everything cabled? Um, you were actually at Infocom 100, uh, this past fall. And one of the big thing was smart buildings, not just smart homes themselves, but obviously bigger structures as well. Is this something that we can kind of, in conjunction with with the smart building move, um, follow these guidelines and say, you know what, guys, here's here's a blueprint for you when you're either building brand new or you're doing a rehab. Here's something you need to you need to keep in mind. Um, well, yeah, I, you know, I I know that there's mixed 
emotions about standards and and uh, but but I do feel like like guidelines and best practices are a good thing, yeah. and uh, and and I feel like it it does legitimize what we do and and it does separate the the do-it-yourselfer or the hobbyist from the professional having these these uh, guidelines and and uh, you know show demonstrating to people what we consider to be the the right way to do things uh, so so. Um, it, it, it gives, it gives us some legitimacy for sure. Mr. Ben is, are, are white papers in general a good idea? And, and specifically talking about, you know, going, going back to the residential for a second, you know, getting these guys up and running when it comes to, you know, almost commercial quality, uh, infrastructure, uh, for, for, uh, cabling. Actually, I think it, it's a good idea. I think having someone who says this is the best practice and, having the ability to come in with a level playing field and kind of the here it is, this is what you need to have a, a wired house in the 21st century, I think is good. Uh, I think it's a good thing for the, for the CES industry in general just because now the house itself can support more. And kind of like going back to the wireless speakers, if you have wire everywhere and you have the right wire everywhere, you can you can do a lot better. Also... It sounds strange, but I think it's actually going to have an impact on the resale value of the houses. Uh, when I was bought my house around six years ago, that was one of the things they were touting was the Category 5 wiring everywhere and all the video drops and all that to make it, you know, uh, technology friendly. Unfortunately, they put splices into a punch-down block, oh, but yeah. it was Cat 5 cabling. and. I think it's it's a good thing. I think having best practices, I think Cedia embracing this and getting out in front is good rather than waiting for there to be a, a hodgepodge all over the place. Yeah. You know, the nice thing about standards is there's so many to pick from. You 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 and Kevin Iselli, brother. Yep. <laughs> you and Kevin Iselli. All right. Uh, you are listening to AV Week. Thank you so much for doing so. That gentleman there is my evil genius friend, Mr. Bradford Ben from Harmon Professional. And the other gentleman is Steve Greenblatt from Control Concepts. Um, a couple of years ago, I was introduced, actually, a, a friend of mine who, who knows that I, I work at a, at a college and we install our own equipment. So, you know, kind of I have some some level of expertise, I guess, when it comes to, to designing systems and putting them in. And he calls me up and says, hey, have you ever heard of this this company? It's a, it's a new uh, projector. And I'm like, I've never heard of this company before in my entire life. Let me find out more. And uh, that was my introduction to BenQ. Um, inexpensive. But from what I can tell and, and what I've used is top quality projectors. Um, and this week they came out with flat panels. Um, and so here's my question, and, and Bradford, we'll, we'll kick this off with you. Uh, it's not so much about BenQ. It's, it's kind of about BenQ, but we're going to kick it off a little bit more. Is there a large jump to go from, hey, we make projectors and, and make pretty darn good ones, to, hey, we make flat panels and the reason I'm asking is this is because some of this the stuff in here is are is, is not what you expect in a typical flat panel and the price point was not what I expected when I when it came down to it um, you've got it's it's a touch screen let's start with that and the price point is actually more expensive than some of their of their projectors so is this something where we see BenQ moving beyond their core competency or is this um, a natural progression for them, I guess, is the best way to put that. 
Uh, I th I'll kind of address those couple of questions. I think it's a natural progression. It is a move off their core competency. Building a small panel that goes in front of a projector lens and is translucent, I'm not going to say it's easy, but that's what they're good at. Yeah. Building a big panel that goes in front of, uh, you know, or emits light on its own, that's a little bit more complex. But I think going to the sizes they're going at, they're actually looking at replacing some of their smaller projectors with this and making them into smart boards, especially with oh. the with the with the temp, uh, touching technology. You know, I'd be surprised. Uh, looking through all the features, the one that surprised me is okay. So you have this sensing touch technology that gives you all this stuff. Is that there's not a a built-in, and maybe it comes with the app, and just didn't say it in the article from AV Network that you know there's a way to use it as a whiteboard and do your presentations on because i know if i was presenting and i could stand in front of a 66 inch screen and draw on the screen instead of having to use the little highlighter and powerpoint or keynote it'd be a lot easier and i think from that standpoint it, it makes sense i do think it's a natural progression from a business standpoint because the it guy at a company is going to go i have the i have 10 ben and q projectors throughout the facility and those are working great and I need a flat panel for the CEO's office I'll buy one of these so I think I think it's a good business move I do agree it's outside of their normals but they've made flat panels before uh, it just wasn't as well known oh okay well there you go did they did, were those touch to touch as well or no uh, no okay. we had one in the crown truck many years ago and it was fine See you, and you make a good point, Bradford. Steve, we'll kick this off. We'll go with you with this. Um, I, I didn't think about the fact that they might, you know, kind of replacing their their smaller uh, projector market. And I would be surprised if there wasn't some sort of app either already built in. They, they just didn't have it in the article, or maybe coming down in the next year or so. Um, Steve, is this is, like like Bradford said, just another natural progression uh, for BenQ? I I I was liking the fact that they didn't just go with the regular display the fact that it has value add and it and it, it's unique and different and and serves a purpose and provides a, a potential solution to me was intriguing i i i also looked for the mention of software and the only thing that i picked up on was that it says when paired with windows 7 which <laughs> also was kind of weird because wouldn't you think that windows 8 would be a little bit more interactive and would be a, a natural fit more more this. appropriate yeah. i was thinking yeah and you know what what i've started to see a lot more of is that these types of displays are on all the and whether they're they're doing them real or they're simulated, but they, I see them on sports shows and newscasts where they they're touching the screen to bring mm -hmm. up different stories or different graphics or dragging things, and and I really think that touch screens are are becoming natural to everybody now. So to me, it sounds like like they're looking for a niche, and and perhaps they found it. Well, and the the election cycle that we just all went through uh, in the U.S. You know every. Every political uh, pundit had some sort of touchscreen where he could, you know, manipulate the different states and the different maps and the different, you know, this is blue, this is red, this is purple, you know. So mm -hmm. uh, the the other thing that did surprise me about this, uh, just to follow up a little bit, is that is it does picture in picture, which I think is pretty cool and great for video conferencing. Mm -hmm. But it's only, and I say that somewhat tongue in cheek, going back to my five twenty five lines, and I'm happy. 
it's only 1920 by 1080. You know, it's only 1080p. So as you start putting in uh, picture in pictures and stuff like that, you're not going to have as much resolution as you might think you will. Wait a minute. Did you just complain that something wasn't 4K already? <laughs> no, no, no. I complained that wasn't that wasn't uh, 2200 by 1600. Oh, okay. <laughs> so I'm like, good Lord, it's not even really matured no, yet, and we're already... And part of it's because, like, on my, on my monitor at home, it's 2280 by something I forget. But so I can put an, a... A 1920 by 1080 screen in there and then two smaller uh, okay i got you next to it so like right yeah. now i have my picture of steve and you in one corner at the normal resolution i have the they want to do this like for video conferencing and stuff with the picture in picture i i would think they'd have higher resolution what picture do i have now on skype what is, i've forgotten what i've put up there now it looks exactly like you. It's, uh, it says AV Nation on it. It's kind of blue with the <laughs> map of the world. Yes, that, that is that I am blue, yes. Yeah. At, at one time I had, uh, it was a really cool picture. It was it was all six Star Wars. It was a it was a, um, a, a picture of all six Star Wars all put together. It was really cool. So. Oh, I thought that was the AV Nation team. Yeah. <laughs> think, think about and, it. You could and play George's Angry, Darth Maul. Go ahead. <laughs> Angry Birds Star Wars edition on the BenQ panel. Oh, brother, I would be so there. I've already got. Yeah, I've got it on the on the iPad, and it's yeah. Yeah. Me and, have you done iPad AirPlay TV to your big screen TV so everyone can watch you play? I have not done it with the game. No, I've done it with other things as well. With other things, but I've not done it with with that. I'll have to try that. It's not that because people laugh at you and tell you how to do it better. <laughs> well, I have a six and a four year old. They they already do that anyway. So. Um, uh, all right, from HomeTheaterReview.com. Steve, I'm glad you're here because we're going to talk about Control. Uh, the article is Goodbye Universal Remote. Hello, Control app. Um, a couple, three weeks ago, uh, we were talking, and I, I made the comment and the question, really, and so I'll, Steve, I'll, I'll kick it off with you with the same question. Are we getting away from the basket full of remotes and going to the app, uh, the smartphone full of apps when it comes to home control? Yes, <laughs> short answer. Um, <laughs> Next. And, and, I, and I think that the, that the reason is, is because everybody needs an app to be relevant. So it, you know, I, I think that, that that's what, what puts the manufacturer on, on the map. You know, they, I think that that's one of the first questions that somebody asks is, do you have an app for this? Um, and, and I think that, that, there are apps that are very practical. Um, I, I have Sonos at home, and I I love the app on my phone because I, I pick it out. I take it out of my pocket, and I, I pick what I want to listen to. And if I need to change the volume, I can do that, and I put it back in my pocket. And so things that that are activity based like that, I th- think that apps work great for. But I, you know, I, I know I know that. The, the article goes on to talk about would you control your your home theater or would you want to watch TV using an, an app on a smartphone and and I think that that's questionable. Bradford is is Steve right? You you, you have an you to be relevant. You you almost need an app at this point. Yeah, I think it's table stakes, but I actually disagree with Steve in that I use my TiVo app to watch TV all the time because it's easier and gives me more control than the on-screen guide does. So I can look at what's in, in my shows, look on the guide and all that stuff without it having on screen or actually type text in, as well as using it to control an Apple TV in the remote. So I'm using my iPhone and iPads all the time to control my TV and my home theater in real time. So I think it's, it's a huge thing. I think people are expecting it. 
The other thing that I'm very surprised about, but has been very successful, people lose the remotes and forget how to use them. As soon as you put it on an iPhone, they understand it immediately and they don't lose it. No, no. Unless you lose your phone. (laughs) Even, yeah, but that's why I find my iPhones there. As soon as there's find my remote. But the biggest problem I've seen with it is something that my that uh, I did to my wife that might have gotten me into trouble. Oh no! Is because it's all Wi-Fi now. I can be in the basement and change the channel in the living room. You didn't, did you? It, yeah, I did. It was an accident, though. But of <laughs> oh, course, you know, on purpose. Anyway, because we have more than one TiVo, and they all show up on the network. And I think that's going to be the downfall to them is people messing with each other. You know, kind of like the slap fight we talked about many. Years ago, with the uh, Xbox Connect for uh-huh. just to control your home theater, yeah. now it's going to be Wi-Fi fighting to control the home theater. Dueling, uh, dueling apps. Yeah. So I think that, but I do think that having an a bi-directional communication to your wireless device is a great thing for the market. I think it's a great thing for home automation, and I think it makes people feel better about it. No, I, and I agree with that. I I just recently purchased a new uh, a new receiver. It was a Panasonic, and and one of the things that one of the first things I did once I had it hooked up was I downloaded the app. And actually, I was a little disappointed. I downloaded the wrong app first, and I'm like, "Holy cow, this thing does everything!" And then I figured out I I downloaded the wrong one, and once I got the correct one, I'm like, "Oh shoot, doesn't do nearly half as much as the first one I downloaded did." So. And the good news is is that it's possible that they could upgrade firmware and upgrade the app. And yeah. You can possibly do more. Um, you know, the question that I have is, do apps simplify? Do apps provide the what, – what control system is supposed to simplify the operation and provide a better user experience? And and I think for us, being technical, they, the apps serve a great purpose. But for the non-technical people, are apps a good solution? I give it 50-50 because I think, and I have not used the Harmony approach, and I'm using it as an approach, not as, you know, the product, because they do have the iPod app available for it of a, uh, you know, macro-based and has the situational-based rules and stuff. I I haven't done that. I'm a, Like you said, I'm a technical person. What, right. That that brings up a good point, actually, about the Harmony. Let's just call it the, the, the Harmony uh, solution, right? Harmony. If you're not familiar, um, it, it's one remote, and it you you program it through your computer, and it has several different IR commands, and you can just get rid of all the rest of your your controllers and have one simple uh, solution for that. Does that put do the do these apps put that sort of product in jeopardy? Because whether you're talking about you know my Panasonic or the or the TiVo app and this that and the other, or you have somebody come along, a third party say and they do some something similar to harmony only instead of doing ir commands they're they're cobbling together you know well bradford you have a tivo here and you have a panasonic tv and you have a sony this and sony that okay so he cobbles everything together under one app and And commands everything from there see and i actually have looked at this because even though i'm cheap i still look at look at it i think there's still a market for the harmony app and the harmony hardware uh, when I say Harmony hardware, if you look at my house at least, I need Bluetooth for the PlayStation, IR for some for the AVR, and Wi-Fi for the TiVo, and IR for the TV. 
So I'm still going to need a piece of hardware that will to bring that all together for the Harmony model. So I think that there's still a place for it. They just have to change their hardware base from the emitter and the control surface to selling the emitter and then selling the app as the control surface. Hmm. Yeah, okay, that's a, that's and that's valid too. All right, gentlemen, last but not least, um, this came down the pike about a week ago or so. Um, capes. Dun, dun, dun. For some reason, the Superman theme goes in my head. Uh, capes, if you don't know what that is, that is the Crestron Authorized Independent Programmer. They all have to change their cards now to say Crestron Service Providers uh, because Crestron has changed the name uh, of, their, of their independent uh, programmers. That whole system is now called Crestron Service Providers. Um, Steve, capes are about 10 years or so old. Um, is this what? What is this all <laughs> about? I guess I, I'm 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 curious because uh, last month they came out with with Crestron Studio, which is their new configuration software. Last year they came out with with the uh, the Core Three um, processor. What are, is this? Just all part and parcel of them redoing uh, and, and remarketing things, or what's up with with the name change? I, I think it's it's meant to. I mean, I, I I know a little bit more than the average person because I was actually involved a little bit behind the scenes. Uh, but because we are a CAPE or now a CSP, um, it it sends a couple of messages and and there's a few intents. I mean, one of them is the fact that it encourages independent programming companies or solutions providers to now be more than just programmers. Uh, it, it encourages them to get involved in design, get involved in commissioning, get really look at supporting Crestron systems being that Crestron makes so many things these days. And it, it takes, it almost eliminates the boundaries of, of being coined a programmer, uh, which is a good thing. And, and it's something that we've looked at as, you know, because the opportunities have been there and there's, there are, I think the traditional ways of doing projects have changed and we are able to, to, to sell our services directly to a technology manager or a consultant or an end user. And, um, the other, the other uh, intent or the other uh, message is for Crestron, it, it is taking, disassociating them from the term programming, which I think sir, starts to have a little bit of a, a negative connotation, unfortunately. And, and, and I think that's a lot of marketing. And, and that's you know, going back to, to what you mentioned about Crestron Studio, the idea of simplifying how a Crestron system is done and rather than it's so hard because it requires programming. So I, th those are the two main the two two main messages that that I would get out of it. And I guess that was my biggest issue with the name change is the fact that you have you're assuming uh, or Crestron is assuming that these independent programmers are now going to suddenly become service providers. Um, my experience has been I've got I've got really good friends that are capes. They are really good at what they do, and holy cow, that's just that they eat, breathe, and sleep code. Um, but I've also known of some capes who are not the greatest in the world, and calling them service providers uh, just carte blanche is is a disservice to people who actually provide service. Uh, and I'm, maybe maybe Crestron sure. is being optimistic. I guess is the best way to put that without being hateful. Um, 
Uh, Bradford, is this uh, is this kind of a you know like like Steve said, somewhat marketing, but also maybe some some wishful thinking on their part that their their programmers will also you know get involved in other aspects of their business. I think it's a combination of it all because I think the reason they're going away from programmers is also allows the service provider or the integrator to charge for programming separately from project management. Because mm. if you're just hiring a program, you know, company, that's all you have to pay for. The other thing I think is it does give them a little bit more and I'm not speaking for Crestron, just you know, thinking when I used to be a an integrator, of if you're a service provider, you're expected to do more than just program. Yeah. And I think that's what they're also trying to do. Perhaps, like you said, there are some good ones and there are some bad ones. Well, if this is the first step, and I'm the pure conjecture, if this is the first step to, okay, you have this, but you also need to be like a CTSD or CTSI or other things that prove you're a good business person and responsive to your customers, you know, that might be their, their next step. I do think it's good to, to put it as a service and not as a programmer because you're not just going in and writing a couple lines of code. And if you're doing it well, you're going in and talking about what do they want the control system to do? What services is it providing for them? Can you do other things in addition to it rather than just programming, such as, you know, installing their flat panel TV with the cool 55-inch touchscreen playing so you can play Angry Birds on it? You know, and yeah. integrate it with your iPad. So I think that, that that moving from programmer to services makes sense. It's kind of like a value-added reseller in the Microsoft Word or a gold partner of you're more than just selling them the hardware or selling them code. You're you're watching the project from cradle to grave. And and that and see, here's the thing that that's valid, and maybe that's where they're coming from. And you know, I I'm, I hope they're right, and I hope that their their trust in their capes. Uh, turns out to be warranted because, you know, like I said, there there are some that are really great. There are some that are that service is somewhat to be you know leave something to be desired. Well, maybe yeah. along those lines, it raises the bar. Yeah. So I mean, I, it, it for for me, you know, from a somebody who who owns a company that does this, I I, I no matter who they are, even if they're my competition, it, it troubles me to hear that. They're, they're not doing a good job because it ends up impacting everybody who does what we do because all of a sudden the, the trust isn't there. So I, I feel like the, we all have to, to rise up to the occasion and, we, and in, in order to, to grow our, our stake in the industry, we, we have to prove our value. That's valid. All right, gentlemen, uh, that is all the time we have for today. Mr. Steve Greenblatt, the chief of everything uh, over at Control Concepts, um, you can reach him. How can people get a hold of you? Find you, Twitter you, and and the website. Uh, website is controlconcepts.net. Uh, Twitter is at Steve Greenblad, and LinkedIn is Steve Greenblad as, as the the uh, personal page. Very cool. Thank you so much, sir. Thank you. Appreciate it. This was a great time. Uh, and also, Mr. Bradford Ben, when uh, Harmon professional he is an application expert over there thank you so much sir uh, my pleasure always fun to rant with you uh how can people get a hold of you follow you twitter you um be encouraged to be nice to one another on a daily basis uh okay that would be my personal twitter feed uh for those of you who don't know you should follow it it's at bradford ben with two n's 
Uh, my Google page is Bradford Ben. My Facebook page, which is evil, is Bradford Ben. <laughs> my email address is me at bradfordben.com. Uh, my LinkedIn profile is anyone? Ben yes, Bradford. It, no, nope, it's Bradford <laughs> Ben as well. Uh, if you want to find me at the office, uh, it'd be bradford.ben at harmon.com. Oh, Had to yeah. trade corporate IT strikes again. Yeah, they did. Is that your middle name, Dot? <laughs> yes, it is. It's like Kim.com, except I'm much nicer. Uh, well, yeah, you, that would be. That wouldn't take much to be nicer than Kim.com. Um, all right. Well, thank you guys so much for joining us. If you want to follow me and my rantings, um, it's it's TD, Tim David Albright, on Twitter. Uh, but more importantly for me and, and everybody here, go by the website, uh, avnation.tv, avnation.tv. You can check out our Facebook our Twitter, uh, AV Nation TV and um, AV Week Pod, I think, is are the two uh, Twitters. We're on Google Plus, LinkedIn, and uh, this past week we uh, we started a Pinterest page. So, uh, yeah, I got one of those too, but you know, well, you know, it's people like it. My wife yeah. likes it at least. So we'll, we'll, mine's we'll... a little scary. It's a dark ride. Enter at your own risk. Yeah, well, that that would be just the story of your life, Brad, for the dark ride. Yes. All right. Uh, but yeah, go by the website, avnation.tv. avnation.tv. Thanks so much for listening. That's all the time we have for AV Week. <laughs>